Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Biomass. We're on episode 194. We're glad you could join us. We got a whole slew of different kinds of topics here, so let's get started with some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Soraya Zell. Hi, I'm Soraya Zell, um, and I am excited because uh, it is a Star Trek Discovery season finale night. And this is the first season, right? Yes. Cool. Well, let us know how it goes. We'll get a review from you next week on the whole thing and, and what you thought of it. All right, Bait, you're up, man. Hey, everybody. What's up? My name is Bait, and um, yeah, dude, I'm Bait. That's all I got. You're not driving today? No, I'm not. Lovely. Florida man is not driving while talking and almost dying. Like First time is. ever. Yes, this is the <laughs> first time in years. All right, Jay, you're up, man. Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Jay. I'm also one of the hosts here on Biomast, and uh, I've been just kind of knocking around like uh chipping away at a long list of either Steam or PS4 kind of deep cuts uh, as I'm waiting for some of the big hitting titles to come out this spring. All right, sounds good. And I'm Pokey Draven. I obviously help the show, help host the show here. And I've been playing a lot of Monster Hunter World and have been trying to finish up Nier Automata. That game has got a lot of stuff to do, but we're getting close to the finale here. So, uh, you know, we'll have reviews forthcoming, but that's how I've been spending my time lately. But moving along with some topics here, Deadpool, our favorite, the one and only Jay, finally made his debut in the first cable appearance in a Deadpool trailer. Word. <laughs> yeah. What'd you guys think of that awesome green arm? I liked it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was pretty good. I mean, it was pretty, as as usual, like uh, most of their, their comedy is kind of right on the nose. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm kind of interested in see how this one works out. It's kind of a new crew in their... Um, with the director writer changing out, but uh, Josh Brolin, uh, he one he's a, he's a really good actor generally. Uh, so watching him play kind of the straight man to to Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool, I, I'm quite fascinated to see that. Yeah, I mean it looks pretty good. I, I like the whole uh, completely forget the fourth wall. You know, starts off like this badass you know action uh, action trailer, and it's like oh, no, we're gonna have a little you know. <laughs> a little up, play with my dolls, and that sort of thing. Um, it was it was pretty good. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a a really a really fun movie. I hope that you know the shift of the crew, like you mentioned, Jay, doesn't you know ruin a lot of what made the original good. I hope that they can still kind of capture on all of that and and deliver a product that you know we're we're hoping for and expecting for due to the quality of the first film. So I'm I'm pretty stoked. What about you, Zal? What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean it it looks good. There's not uh ton here to tell us what the movie's going to be about i would say but uh um yeah i'm i'm looking forward to it yeah should be a good one i think that one's came coming out in may early may. Uh, yeah. may yeah so i mean we still got a few more months to go but i'm sure the the build-up will be well worth it they do a good job with their their advertising and their marketing on social media which is all you know kind of part of the whole experience so it should be pretty exciting so look forward to deadpool 2 coming out in the middle of may uh, this year so it should be good stuff you know, I didn't realize, and maybe I did, but I didn't realize that we were expecting like Deadpool to have a crew of people in this one. I I think what they're actually kind of leading to is um, either maybe X Force or uh, God, what's the uh, really Cable has a posse that he uses routinely. You know, they're kind of like oh, okay. B or C list kind of mutant mercenary types. Uh, Domino, played by by uh, Zazy Beats, is in there. Uh, that's kind of an interesting sort of cat, you know, casting piece for that. Uh, so I, I don't know, but we'll we'll see. Uh, Wait, I think Terry Crews is in it. 
aren't they making a, a an X Force movie anyways? They, well, I, I, they've not announced it. There's been a ton of speculation because you've got kind of all the all the pieces there to do it. And if and again, that was actually in the discussion of like, well, if you kind of wanted to make like a an R rated you know superhero movie, that that is definitely a way to do it. The problem with X Force is it it might unless you got like you know the the big time uh, members of X Force with the kind of the acknowledged sort of uh, actors, it'll probably end up looking a lot like a Suicide Squad, which I don't think anybody at Marvel wants that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely, I mean, like the, the comics are, are pretty hardcore. They're, they're, they're really good, but they're definitely a, if you took several, you know, like a variety of different uh, like mutant type characters or like, you know, folks in the X-Men's orbit. And then they basically like hung up their, you know, colorful tights for a minute and then put on like, like combat fatigues and like, you know, black leather jackets and, you know, didn't shave for a week. And then they go in and like, they just start like laying waste to people. Uh, It's kind of a neat premise uh, and it would work well with like Deadpool and Cable. And uh, if you took like the Wolverine that you had from Logan or, or a version that of, of that type of Wolverine, it would fit well, but I, I think there'd be almost too much of a desire to push a, like I said, a Suicide Squad feel to it. Well, and and it, it seems like just based on what you're describing, it would almost suffer uh, from the same thing that Suicide uh, Squad suffered from. And in, in in my opinion, that was the fact that we didn't really know anything about any of the other characters. They kind of gave us a thirty second, like, okay, yeah. this is what he did, and you know, here's the fucking well, movie. Well, um, no, no, you, you're right. You're not wrong there, Bay. So the in uh, in Suicide Squad, the whole the whole premise of that when it originally came out, pretty much everybody in it, in like the actual original comics, they were literally like B and C list villains that they just thought, you know, like for a goof, they you know sort of that they you know they put them all together. Um, it, you know, they're very much a dirty dozen kind of thing, and, and and routinely they get killed off. Like that was a way that you killed off a an inconsequential villain in the Marvel universe, was you sent them to the Suicide Squad. Um, so X, you know, X Force is a little bit different. They would take, you know, you know, fairly significant. You know, there'd be some of those guys that were definitely kind of like the B list or kind of you know, background sort of mutants and stuff that they would have in there. But you'd have, you know, like some, some power hitters in there. I mean, like Wolverine, you had um, like Domino. I think Cyclops was in it for a little while. Uh, there, there's a variety that would float in and out, particularly in the, like the late 90s. You'd see some of them. Yeah, no, I mean, that's there's there's a lot of directions they could take this franchise as a whole, but I think they kind of need to decide on, you know, that general direction in how they want to deal with some of these, you know, older characters that have been used for quite a while in, in the movie series. Like, you know, you brought up Wolverine, for example. So, you know, I, it's almost like it's gotten to a point where they kind of don't want to touch what's there and they would almost want to have start over and have some sort of, you know, separate entity if they're going to start doing stuff like this because it could get a little weird, especially when you're dealing with something like uh, Logan is such a great end cap to that whole franchise. Yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't want them to mess with it because that was just so good. It's like, just let it be its own thing. Don't I, try to well, stem off of it. I, I do. Th- I do think though, with some of the, some of the, you know, the, what looks, what appears to be the fairly sewed up, um, you know, acquisition of, you know, Marvel getting, you know, potentially in about a year, getting a lot of their kind of pieces and parts back. Uh, it does open up the, you know, a lot of things that you can do uh, in terms of, 
you know, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would agree. It would be a good opportunity for them to go, okay, we've already got our Marvel universe going on here. That's, that's, you know, all wrapped up and we're going to inject, you know, X-Men into it, but because we don't want to mess with the previous stuff that was going on with Fox, we can just start that as the start point for new characters playing, or sorry, new actors playing, you know, the same characters, but fit it into our universe that yeah. we've built a little bit better. So that would be a good opportunity. Yeah. So I'm, well, and interestingly enough in the new mutants, like that kind of horror movie looking Marvel thing that's coming out, several of like two or three of those characters are actually ones that were, are kind of uh, regulars in X-Force. Um, so, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, they've also had like the Human Torch, uh, Ben Grimm, you know, the thing. Um, let's see, yeah, Wolverine was in for a while. Archangel, you know, with guy with the wings and all that mm-hmm. kind of good stuff. I mean, they, they've had a pretty, a pretty high-end crew, uh, or not high-end, but they've definitely had, um, you know, fairly well-known folks floating in and out of it. And in fact, actually, Rob Liefeld, the guy that created Deadpool, uh, was one of the co-creators of X Force. So, so it's another tie-in. They they may eventually look at doing something like that. Yeah, it'll be good to see them moving forward, especially with all the changes happening with ownership of the franchise and that sort of thing. So we'll, uh, of course, be covering it, and it should be good to see what they do with it. But, you know, this will all be forthcoming as we have to kind of see how these acquisitions take place and what the terms of them are. Because I know we've kind of discussed in length that it may not be as simple as it looks on the outside. and It might be a little more um, specific in what they're grabbing. But, uh, you know, we'll have to see. So speaking of big-name franchises... Uh, this is going to be an interesting one. So the Han Solo movie, this is kind of one of those uh, a Star Wars movies where it's not part of the main numbered franchise. It's like a side story, much like Rogue One. Uh, we've known for quite a while that Han Solo was going to be getting an origin story movie. And so they dropped actually kind of a teaser trailer on the Super Bowl night uh, last week. And then the actual trailer came out, uh, I think, the next day. So what did you guys think of this one? Seeing, you know, a young Han Solo and they they kind of poke at, you know, how he behaves and kind of what happens in his backstory. Knowing all that we do about Han Solo as a character for the last five Star Wars films, Star Wars films he appeared in, what was your interpretation of this particular iteration of him as a young man? Um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what I had. It was like, okay we'll see like i'm not turned off by this but i'm not really excited either no you guys you guys aren't giving it a chance i'm excited i'm I'm giving it a chance i'm not jumping off with a negative conclusion with a negative you know opinion right away but you know i'm like let me let me put it this way i if 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 you take the what is a minute 20 or so trailer at total face value um it, there's nothing that jumps out that's like, that looks horrible. Now, I will also tell you, other than the fact that I know who Chewbacca is and what the Millennium Falcon looks like, I would not, you could have not put the word Star Wars or Solo anywhere on there and you would have had no clue what it was about. Um, the So here, here's the thing. I, I bet you, are, you're, you're not, you, you are... You are not wrong in that we probably need to like be a little bit more open-minded about it. Mm-hmm. But I will also say this was a movie that literally nobody asked for. Nobody was clamoring for this. Now, if you if you want to go on the interweb and say like, "Hey, is anybody looking for like a Owen oh, you and McGregor Ben Kenobi movie?" You get like a gazillion yeah. hits on that. Like I'd be all about that. But nobody, but nobody was asking for. Hey, let's go find some rando that nobody's heard of to play 
Han Solo after right after you just got done killing him in The Force Awakens. <laughs> so um, I, I have to I have to question a little bit of the judgment. And then if you look back, there was a lot. There's a lot of sketchy stuff that has gone on with the production in terms of uh, what the you know some of the things that went on here. I mean, they fired directors deep into it and all kind of other crazy stuff. Now, Rogue One was also reportedly a dumpster fire during production. And, it, and I, personally, I think it was one of the probably you know, maybe the, my number three favorite Star Wars movie. So I, I will definitely, you're right. I, I'll give this one a little bit more room for the road till I can kind of see a little bit more about it. But th- I think they got to swim upstream a little bit to kind of win people over, to be honest with you. Cause I, cause you know, you never know. I mean, this, this might be that famed first time you have a Star Wars that actually bombs. You can say what you want about the prequels. Those things like made straight bank. Yep. They made tons of money. It, it, it probably will make tons of money. It's just a matter of, you know, how the reviews go, but people will see it anyways. Like even if more trailers come out and I think this looks awful as hell, I'll still go see it. You know, how are you not and, going to go see yeah, it? You know, exactly. and that's how it's going to make all of its money is people like pokey who are going to be like, eh, it looks kind of bad, but I'm still going to go see it anyway, because so we're socially obligated to go see every Star Wars movie that ever comes out and that ever will come out. Yeah, it's like buying Destiny. You know, it's gonna be bad, but you do it anyways. <laughs> but you do it anyways. Exactly. No, I, 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 I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I think that Disney know that they're that they're they're playing with a uh, a very iconic, and I think I said some of this last week. They're playing with a very iconic character that means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, uh, so I, I expect that they're gonna do right by this, but I could be wrong. No, yeah, I think they're going to take a stab at it. They're just, I mean, I think in in all honesty, this was really a dangerous decision to make this movie, though, uh, because, like I said, it's like probably one of the most beloved, you know, science fiction slash fantasy characters, you know, in most people's lifetime. I'm, I'm for, you know, the the original movie came out in what seventy seventy eight. Um, I mean, because I, I remember seeing it when I was like three or four, or something like that. So it, it like Seven. that character has been in the psyche of shit man you know people that are my age like i'm 42 like since often that was like you know people my age that was about the first movie you ever saw probably 77 is when that movie came out yeah Yeah, there you go so i i mean it's you know kind of hard to tell man i i hope i hope uh alden emmerich or whatever the hell his name is (laughs) does a great job otherwise he's going to get absolutely filleted by people oh he will Uh, (laughs) yeah i mean in in all honesty i guarantee you there's a lot of there's a lot of actors that would have probably wanted no part of this, like like you know, probably well known, like well established Hollywood Hollywood actors. Even if they were offered this role, there's probably more than a few that would have said, "Nah, I don't really want to get involved in that." That's too much. Is you know, it's too risky. Too, yeah, too the high risk, high reward, but it's it's shaded a little bit towards too much risk, probably. Except the guy playing Chewbacca, he's probably just okay with doing that. I assume it's yeah, the have same you guy. The, yeah, have you seen the new the new Chewbacca, the guy who that that dude. Oh, is it is it a new guy playing him? Yeah, yeah. He's, oh, so really? In in, um, in the Force Awakens, so Peter Mayhew played the played Chewbacca when he didn't move. So if you saw like a like a chest up when he like a like a Chewbacca close up that or he was sitting down, that was Peter Mayhew. But anytime he moved, that was this other guy. And then he was all it was pretty much all him in the uh, in the the Last Jedi. He's like this like. Uh, Norwegian or Icelandic uh, pro basketball player. No, he, looks, he looks like a fucking male model. Like, <laughs> I, I'm dead serious. Like, oh, dude, yeah. He, 
blonde blue eyed Norwegian kid. Look at this. Yeah, absolutely. He's literally like six, seven, six, eight. He kind of reminds me of a very young uh, uh, Ivan Drago. Like, what's his name? Uh, Dolph Lundgren. He looks a little bit like that. He's from Finland, by the way. It's same thing. It's all, it's all the same <laughs> shit. It's, it's all Scandinavian area. Yeah. It's a former basketball player. Yeah, that's crazy. I did not know that. That's crazy. So is is he doing? Do we know if he's doing Chewbacca in? I think he is in yeah. Solo. Yeah, okay. he's got the credit for it in Solo. It looks like the only thing he's okay. ever been is uh, Star Wars. Yeah. Huh. Get that. Oh, maybe maybe we'll get to see him actually like kick somebody's ass. Yeah. And stuff. Pull, <laughs> pull a pull a fucking arm off of a uh, stormtrooper. God, oh, he's calling oh, stormtroopers now too because they're not going to be first ordered. Shit. Oh, jeez. I mean, at the very least, it does. This does op- open up an opportunity where you you get all these stories that like Hansel would say about like Wookies, like all the stuff he did. You could actually it'd be kind of fun to actually have him be doing this stuff, and it's like that's what they've been referencing the whole time, like ripping people's arms off and you know not letting the Wookie win the game, you know that sort of thing. Um, this that, like this could be kind of a fun for for those sort of references, but I think um, like you were saying, Jay, it, it's so risky. Like this is such a risky move. Um, and considering some of the issues the last Star Wars film had, you know, you kind of got to question Disney a little bit. Like, are you guys sure? Like, are you really, really sure about this? Because it could go south real quick. Yep. Word. All righty. So, yeah, you know, I, we're all going to go see it. Let's be honest here. Um, Absolutely. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Did you have any thoughts on it, Zell? Are you, are you good? You know, it's... Uh... As I, as I said last week, I'm not that big of a Star Wars fan. Um, it it wasn't a, a wow trailer by any means. It wasn't a, a bad trailer. Um, you know, yeah, we'll see. It's a movie. It's a movie. All right. Sounds good. So moving along to another interesting trailer. And I'm not, as I've always said, I'm not a huge comic book buff. So I don't know all the ins and outs of every single comic book hero. So Venom, which is, you know, a character that kind of, I believe, originally spawned from the Spider-Man uh, franchise, is getting his own movie. What did you guys think, if you're familiar with the character, what did you guys think of this trailer um, as someone who knows more about it than I do? My my knowledge of Venom is limited to uh, Spider-Man 3. Hell yeah. <laughs> which is, is uh, not flattering. The best movie ever. God, you guys are killing me. Um, what about you, Jay? Are you are you fully familiar with the, yeah, the Venom I'm, character? I'm very familiar. So there's there's two. They're, so they're kind of doing a mash here. There's two basic uh, versions of Venom. Uh, the one you guys are referencing in Spider-Man Three was the Eddie Brock character, where he was a kind of a you know kind of a scummy guy, like low life criminal. And and depending on, I, I don't think he was ever actually in like a rival. Um, like newspaper guy, like he was depicted in in there, but he was he was certainly n- nothing special, and uh, and he gets the venom, you know, much like actually they they depicted it very well, you know, at least as far as how it works in the comic books, he gets you know the venom uh, symbiote on him, and it kind of, kind of transforms him. Um, you know, Spider Man had it first, passed it on him, all this kind of stuff. So that's sort of the classic villain venom, or or excuse me, yeah, villain venom. Uh, now the more like a more modern take, which is actually the, the kind of the current venom is, uh, is flash Thompson. So in Spider-Man homecoming, they, they changed that character dramatically where, you know, it's, it was that little Indian kid that was basically like the little bully on the science club or whatever the hell he was. So in, in traditional Spider-Man all the way up into including, um, 
you know, the, the, you know, the Kobe Maguire versions, Flash Thompson was kind of the high school super jock kind of bullied Peter and they actually became very good friends. Uh, very much how it was described in the, in the original Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. Like, you know, Thompson's has a very rough home life. You know, he's kind of, you know, a lot of violence at home and, uh, and Peter kind of reaches out to him and they actually form a, a, a very, very tight friendship over the course of the, the, the novels. Well, Flash eventually, you know, he, this is around the time, you know, like think like early two thousands, uh, early mid two thousands, he enlists in the army, uh, is, is making a career of the military doing pretty well you know, as a, as a combat soldier. And he gets blown up pretty good in Iraq, loses both legs. And so he's brought back and they give, and they put, you know, the government intentionally gives him the, uh, the venom symbiote uh, to kind of create a, you know, like a black ops super soldier kind of guy. Um, I think I, I think it was done by shield, you know, the, the class, you know, pretty much everything in the government you need in a comic book's done by Shield, and that was very that was Agent Venom, and that was very much the kind of the modern version of Venom. There's also multiple other villains or bad guys that are that have the same symbiote or parts of the same symbiote because uh, it does spread; it can spread and replicate. So there's I think five or six other ones that are of varying degrees. The most well known is Carnage. He's, he looks like Venom, but red. Much more slender, uh, and that was actually a symbiote that got on like a serial killer. Uh, so you can imagine how that worked out. Uh, but I, I, I'm interested to see. I was, I actually figured that they were going to go more with the. I originally thought they were going to kind of go with the more Flash Thompson version, uh, based on who they who they cast, because I think that would actually worked. That would have worked really well, except for now they've established Peter Parker's actually a teenager again. You know they've they've changed some things up. So I thought originally maybe they were going to mishmash it, where they were using the name Eddie Brock, but he would have a similar backstory as Agent Venom, where he's probably like a military guy. You know, helicopter crash, IED, whatever. He lo- loses legs, arms, or whatever, and they and he gets the Venom uh, symbiote. That was my original thought, but it looks like they're playing this one totally straight, where Eddie Brock's just some guy, like some dude. I don't know, like. I'm not sure what his backstory. I couldn't tell from the trailer, so I don't know. Well, I'll be interested to kind of see how it works out. There is a lot of rumors that Toby McGuire was on set for about a day, so he might have filmed like a scene. Uh, not real sure yet, but you know, we'll you know we'll see. Uh, I like you know, like I said, I think the acting you know that were so far the uh, you know, it's a good choice for it's a good choice for a Venom. You know, the actor's pretty good. And it's Tom Hardy in. Yeah, and I think he would be, you know, he would be a good guy. He would be a good, good character generally for a variety of different Marvel characters. If if you want to kind of play that game, but Venom, you know, or you know, the probably the version they're going to show, he's probably as good as anybody to do that. Um, so I don't know. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, the the trailer really wasn't showing much of actual Venom. <laughs> it was this thing I kind of took away from. I'm like, okay, it's got an MRI machine and. Well, I think they want to let that one sizzle for a little bit, though. I yeah. think they're, they're going to wait for a while before they like you get like an actual picture of Venom. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see it in the the tube, I think, where they're pulling it out of the truck. It's all yep. that's squirming that's it, and stuff. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, this is the first the first trailer I think that they've released um, for this. So you know, they usually do like two or three of these before they actually release this. I'm sure we'll get a bit more of a an actual reveal as you get closer to the actual release date. And did, did we talk about how this movie is weird in the, the grander universe of movies? No. 
Um, How is it weird? So, so this is a Sony film. It is not an. It, it, so like for Spider-Man: Homecoming, Sony had had the Spider-Man franchise, and then they kind of lent it to Marvel to kind of collaborate on a movie. This is this is just straight Sony though, with their ownership of the Spider-Man properties licensing. Um, so they might mention spider-man or you know show spider-man who knows um but it's distinctly not an mcu movie um even though they now have spider-man in the mcu this is this is the sony universe of spider-man movies the way they've cut this all of this up has just made the whole thing even more confusing for everyone it's like okay well it's the sony spider-man versus the marvel spider-man versus the fox spider-man you know it's just it's a mess so i i'm happy to see them starting to consolidate some of this stuff but you're right this does kind of throw an interesting uh <laughs> interesting and somewhat confusing um movie into the mix that's not really connected to anything else since it is being produced by Sony uh, specifically, but uh, you know, it doesn't mean it won't be a good film. It's just, uh, it's going to not necessarily fit with anything else that's currently going on with this, uh, this franchise as a whole. So moving along here, uh, there's a show that's been popping up that I've seen, but haven't actually watched the show, but I've been seeing trailers for it called altered carbon. Uh, and actually a guy I work with is kind of talking to me about it and he really seemed to like it. And it, it seems that Jay actually had been kind of poking around with this one as well. So I'm going to kind of hand the mic over to him to discuss his thoughts on it and, and convince me to watch it. So Jay, what's going on with altered carbon? Okay, sure. Uh, so th- just for, for the record, this is a, it's not a full blown review. It's literally just a kind of an initial take on, uh, on altered carbon. Uh, the first thing I would tell you, I, I would, I would highly recommend this. Uh, if you are interested in any sort of kind of sci-fi or, uh, you know, almost like classic, you know, kind of, uh, apple seed style, like Japanese sci-fi kind of, kind of type stuff, Blade Runner, Matrix, any of that kind of stuff appeals to you, you will likely enjoy Altered Carbon. It's on Netflix. Uh, it's, it's a pretty, pretty hard hitting sci-fi story. Uh, the, the visual tone of it is literally right out of Blade Runner 2049. It's, it's extremely well done. Uh, so long story short, uh, this, it's hard to describe. They're called envoys, but he was a kind of a soldier spy kind of guy. Uh, he is in more or less, you know, brain jail. I don't know how to describe it. His mind is like kept, uh, kept on ice in like this large sort of AI type cloud program. He's brought back and they give him a sleeve, AKA a body. So in this ver- in this version of the distant future, you can more or less live forever if you have enough money by just basically repopulating your consciousness into a new sleeve or, you know, organic sleeve, AKA a new body. Uh, and his name's uh, Takashi Kovacs or Takadeshi Kov- Kovacs. Uh, now the interesting part about this, I, like I, I did not realize that this was a book I had read years ago uh, of the same name. This was actually a, a fairly popular kind of sci-fi adventure detective show or detective story as it was a series of books like m- several years ago. Uh, I had read the first one, I, I think it was still called Altered Carbon then. And, it, and I remember it was, you know, a fairly fast read, but pretty good. You know, it was, it was a good kind of sci-fi yarn. I think I like read it on like an eight-hour flight uh, with a few, uh, a couple hours to spare or something pretty easily. Um, and and I, I just remember enjoying it, but I didn't realize that till I, I was probably twenty minutes into the uh, to the 
to the show. So long. So again, really well done. Gets pretty good actors in it. Uh, they do some neat things in it. They follow the book relatively closely. Uh, they do take some liberties, as you can imagine. But Netflix has done a really good job with this one. Uh, Joel Kinnaman is he's kind of the lead as the, uh, the the current sleeve, if you will, of Kovacs. He's pretty good. But you get to see three different versions of Kovacs in different sleeves based on sort of where they're at in the timeline through flashbacks and so forth. And after and what they've already confirmed is that after the first uh, after the first season, there there's likely going to be a, like a ser- series of cast changes where you have other people come in to play like some of the lead characters, it, almost Doctor Who style, if you will. Uh, so that's very intriguing. Yeah, it looks kind of good. But but so a couple things. One, it if this would if this was this is a movie, it'd definitely be R rated. Uh, there's there's a fair amount of gratuitous nudity here and there. Um, it, you know, the action is pretty good. The action is pretty solid in it. Uh, and, and really the story is not too bad. You know, it's actually, there's not a whole lot of twists and turns you can't figure out, but it's a, it flows well, good story, looks really good, feels good, very, very organic sort of, uh, it's not like stilted at all. It's not, not B-level, really good, really good job by Netflix. So that's just an initial kind of like a hot take on it. Uh, I highly recommend folks check this out if they were, if you were anyway a fan of Blade Runner twenty forty nine or Matrix one, uh, you know, or uh, like Expanse on from the Sci Fi Channel, maybe uh, the new Battlestar Galactica, things like that. If you like that kind of hard edged sci fi, uh, this is pretty good. So I would definitely take a look at it. Yeah, no, that sounds fantastic. I mean, I, I remember seeing the trailer pop up, and I thought it was for, like, an actual movie. Uh, and then I saw it was Netflix series. I was like, oh, wow, really? Okay. That looks impressive. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of Blade Runner and, and Matrix alike, so I'll, I'll definitely be checking this one out and, and, and pick it up. So is the whole first season up? Is it, like, typical binge-watch Netflix uh, style? I'll be honest with you. I've, I've, I, I, I think it is. Okay. Uh, I, I I literally watched probably forty five minutes of the show so far, and I got called away to some other stuff. Gotcha. Okay, well that sounds pretty good. No, I'm I'm I'll check that one out. That looks pretty exciting. I I'm a fan of that that genre, so I think it'll be good. Okay, so moving on to some more gaming related news. So Fortnite Battle Royale. This is one we've talked about pretty extensively, and this is the PUBG style one hundred man battle royale thing. You know, a bunch of guys fly in, jump out of a flying bus parachute down and scavenge for weapons and materials to, you know, fight each other and the last man standing is the winner. And this comes included with all of Fortnite's, you know, unique building mechanics and that sort of thing. If you're familiar all with the game, you can gather wood and stone and metal and build structures and that sort of thing. Uh, but it also, that's just layered on top of this Battle Royale game mode, the CVP experience. And that's currently free to play. And so this has been, you know, obviously PUBG came out and that was a big, huge success. And then once Fortnite came out, the PVE experience, the Save the World campaign for their their uh, buy-in uh, closed beta, then they released the Battle Royale game as a free-to-play offering where they had basically the engine already put together and they just, you know, converted it over for this PvP game mode. And it's been doing quite well to a point where Epic Games, this is the people that make the Unreal 4 engine and had created Paragon, decided to move a large portion of their staff from like the Paragon team over to the Fortnite Battle Royale team because the game was doing so well that it made sense to, you know, dump more resources into it to, you know, help propel that success forward. And this ultimately led to them kind of reevaluating and shutting down 
the, the game Paragon entirely, taking it as a complete loss, offering refunds to everyone. We talked about that last week. So this week, I kind of want to talk about Battle Royale and how well it's doing. So for a while, PUBG, and this is PlayerUnknown's Battleground, um, had a Steam record of 3.2 million concurrent players um, at the same time, which is very impressive. Like It's extremely high, very well, and it's been doing really well. Fortnite just surpassed that record, and in this last weekend, they recorded 3.4 million concurrent players at the same time. Uh, so this is... It has caught up to Battle Royale and is now starting to surpass it in terms of player count of people playing this thing, which I don't think is anyone any surprise to anyone in particular. Um, it's, like I said, very similar to PUBG, but it's free, opposed to whatever PUBG is. I think it's like 30 bucks, something like that. So in terms of accessibility, it's much easier for someone to get into, and if you try that one out first because it's free and you really like it, you're probably going to stick with it rather than paying $30 for a similar game, which may or may not be better. So I think in terms of how they've pushed this out, Epic has kind of hit gold in that they can compete rather aggressively with PUBG simply because, you know, it's free. And, and they've got microtransactions in terms of cosmetics and that sort of thing. And, you know, fine, whatever. That's that's kind of the name of the game when it comes to, to free games. But they're obviously doing extremely well um and you kind of wonder how PUBG is gonna gonna feel about this because i know at one point when they had when epic had announced the battle royale for fortnite coming out PUBG was kind of like this is kind of bullshit because you know PUBG uses unreal engine 4 they've worked with epic games to develop their game and get it out there and then epic came out and released a very very similar title which is now directly competing and surpassing in some ways uh you know the original game and i mean that's that's you know that's capitalism that's that's the market right there but and i don't think that they've done anything illegal in doing this but i can imagine that the creators of PUBG are feeling a little a little bit of animosity towards the whole situation since they're you know potentially yeah, losing market share you know <laughs> to someone who they had been currently working with and i mean there's there's really not much they can do about it because i don't think as far as i can tell that there's really any any legal platform they have to stand on to go after you know they, they haven't patented the battle royale style game mode i mean that's it's existed for a long time it's just that epic kind of hit the nail on the head at the right time with the right price point with the right system and kind of had an accidental success with this kind of test game mode they just did but they're like oh yeah we'll just give it a shot and see how it goes and it just exploded and they just you know, it's it's changed their business model, I think, to a point where they're like, yeah, we'll move a lot of our company into this thing. Um, so it's crazy. It's It's been a crazy this, ride watching this. This actually reminds me a bit of uh, something that's been going on in the tech industry, um, which is that there was uh, this past week, there was the big uh, Google Uber lawsuit that got settled. Um, but the whole thing was that Uber was originally heavily invested in by Google. And so they were kind of seen as very friendly to each other and, and Uber would, you know, had shared board members with Google and stuff like that. And, uh, then Google was doing self-driving cars. Uber was hoping to get involved and didn't get any response. So they decided they're going to do their own self-driving cars. And I believe the term was, uh, that Larry Page was unpumped about, uh, them doing their thing um pumped unpumped was the <laughs> word used in right the there. lawsuit so <laughs> that, that sounds like some shit on the line i would say um but uh i i think there's some similarities there and just the 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 attitude that has to be feel uh, felt around here 
Yeah, I mean, it's and like I said, like in your example, there's there's no legal standing to go after them. That there's no like you've got the rights to do. You're the only one that can do a self-driving car. It's just kind of like, hey, I thought we were cool, and I guess not. So this is awkward, uh, and I think that that's kind of where Epic is when, with PUBG right now. It's just kind of this awkward, like, uh, yeah, so we're kind of screwing your game over, but uh, thanks for the idea, you know? <laughs> so it's, it is what it is, but I, I'm kind of curious to see how PUBG's, or sorry, how um, Battle Royale's rise to, to popularity, how it will continue, and will we see PUBG decline as Battle Royale, Battle Royale goes up, or is it going to kind of level out at some point? Um, but you know, we'll have to see. I think they started at like 1 million concurrent players at launch and it's obviously tripled by now, which is pretty impressive. So um, I'm looking forward to see how this ends and you know, who, who emerges the victor or if they'll just kind of run parallel to each other for a while. Oh, and in that note, um, one thing that, that battle Royale does, that's kind of interesting is they like to introduce like temporary game modes. Like they're just kind of screwing around with stuff in the code and let's try something different. So uh, a few months ago, they had actually put together like a 50 versus 50 team battle using the, the Battle Royale engine. So it's just two teams of 50 guys. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do this for a week. It's going to be a total mess. We haven't balanced it at all. But if you want to give it a shot, you know, have fun. And they've kind of continued to do this where they just put out weird variations for like a week and let people try it out. And I think they said they're going to come back in the next few weeks to to kind of try the 50 v 50 battle again with a few changes and that sort of thing. Um, and then one new game mode they mentioned was the floor is lava, which not a lot of details released, but I, I, you can kind of imagine what it is where you probably can't actually touch the ground and you have to use the building mechanic of Fortnite to gather resources and build platforms across the terrain rather than just, you know, running on the ground, which should be pretty interesting too, because, you know, up until this point, I think the building mechanics have been in there, but not heavily utilized. And I think this is their way of like saying like, Hey, what if we forced you to do it? You know, and it's not like it's an official game mode that you're going to be playing, you know, moving forward. It's just kind of a, we'll test it out, you know, almost kind of like what destiny does where they've got, you know, Iron Banner or Mayhem or something in their in their PvP mode that lasts like a week or two and then it's gone for a few months, then it comes back again. I think Fortnite's kind of experimenting with the same thing where they're gonna try weird stuff and it's it's not meant to replace the main game. It's kind of a supplementary on the side thing, but it does kind of help keep things a little interesting. You know, every few weeks you might have something new and crazy to try out. And I think that's actually a really good way to keep players engaged because events are statistically pretty good at getting people to come back and at least try it out for a little bit. So if you kind of have a constant flow of that sort of thing and you actually have good variety, I think you can go a long way in keeping players engaged and keeping things interesting. So I'm always amused by some of the crazy ideas they come up with at Fortnite because some of the stuff you see in the, the PvE side is also weird and hilarious. So, you know, they've got a good sense of humor there and they've got some good ideas. Even if not all of them work out, they're not afraid to experiment and, and try new things. So you know, like I said, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this sort of thing and, and kind of keep you updated. I don't play Battle Royale. I don't care for that kind of game mode. But, uh, you know, we will keep reporting on that and, and give you guys updates as new information comes out. So in other news, uh, so I've coined a term that I use every so often. It's called getting 514. And it's when the game company <laughs> basically assassinates a game and just like murders the shit out of it. So 
Uh, CCP Games this is the company that produces Eve Online. Uh, they produce Dust Five One Four, which has you know since been shut down, and they produced a little VR title called Eve Valkyrie, which was a VR dogfighting simulator. And this was packaged with a lot of VR headsets. Like if you pre-order the VR headset, you would most likely get a copy of Eve Valkyrie for for free, included with that that piece of hardware. And the game sold fairly well. And several months ago, they came out with their Warzone update, which removed the requirement for VR. But, you know, the game was still um, playable VR or no VR. And it was, you know, it, it was doing decently well, as well as a VR game usually does. And then we got news that they were selling off, CCP Games was selling off their Newcastle studio. And the Newcastle studio was the one that had been producing Eve Valkyrie. And so that kind of raised a lot of questions like, what's the future of the game? That sort of thing. And they were kind of quiet about it. And we later found out that they were going into, and this is what I call like a 514 maintenance only uh, mode, which is a we're stopping development of the game. Don't expect any more updates or patches. Like we'll have like a small team working on answering like bug reports and that sort of thing. Um, but basically what you see is what you get. Um, and the Newcastle studio was ultimately purchased by Sumo Digital, which is a company that's been partnered with CCP to work on Project Nova. And we had kind of initially speculated like, okay, well, maybe, you know, they'll have some of the devs from, you know, Sumo get contracted to work on Valkyrie. And then this news came out that eh, actually we're not going to support it at all, really. We're just going to kind of let it sit and do its own thing and let it kind of fizzle out and, and die on its own, which was which is pretty shitty for people who were a fan of the game. Well... The official forms were still up and running. You know, it was kind of a situation like Dust had where the game was on its last leg. You know, they weren't really pushing too heavily to have it updated. You know, there was a period when they announced, like for Dust 514, hey, you know, Project Nova is a thing, so Dust is going to be shut down eventually. But it's just kind of going to limp along until then. Um, fine. The forms kept going, and, and Dust's forms actually continued to keep going well after the game was shut down like a full year so enter valkyrie we all kind of expected something similar where it would just kind of keep going and then eventually you know they would shut the forms down once player counts got really really low and they were just like it's not worth it well no they're gonna actually just uh you know kill the forms now so like without warning they're like yeah the e valkyrie forms are no longer going to be up and you know it is what it is and just kind of dropped it like just shut them off overnight and people were like, what the hell? You know, it was kind of out of nowhere. They kind of expected it to kind of at least keep going for a while. It, it doesn't cost a company much to keep forms going. But out of nowhere, CCP just decided, yeah, we're going to pull the plug on this. And, you know, tough luck. So that's kind of where they're at right now. And it's it hasn't left the community in, in a very good mood. They're all kind of pissed about it. Uh, over on the Dust Discord, there's a, a sub-channel for Eve Valkyrie, and some of the stuff being said in there is not too positive towards CCP. Well, I, 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 as much as we joke about it, the um, to, in all fairness, CCP keeping the the CC or God the Dust Five One Four sort of community forms around for several hundred slash maybe a couple thousand people was for the, as long as they did hell just keeping that game around in the state that it was is not i don't i don't think that was a normal activity for most game developers most of them no. probably would do what everybody else does they just like hey guys deuces we're out on thursday and it's it you know you, you get like 12 20 12 to 24 hours notice and there's usually like a lot of uh 
you know, lead up to what was going on. I think the only reason that they kept that they kept it is that uh, it cost very little to no money to CCP, and they were trying to still keep lit on the grease fire that they had made uh, with Dust Five One Four slash Project Nova, you know, during one of their big fan events, uh, fan fest up in Iceland that year. So I, I think. That's the only reason that that you know that that atypical thing happened. And frankly, I, I'm kind of surprised that nobody picked up Valkyrie. Like nobody just said, "Hey, we'll, we'll take Valkyrie off your hands and and do something with it," because by pretty much any you know qualitative measure in terms of how VR has been working in kind of the mass public market, it was it was as good of an offering in terms of a complete entertainment game with you know a service model associated to it that, that they had that i i don't know of any other one that was as you know matured or polished as that one and certainly not with you know, potential long-term potential to it so i don't know i mean i i guess it gets that's what makes me wonder more than anything is that not so much that they killed it and sort of just walked away from it which again they're probably like hey we can't do that dust 514 thing again I'm just kind of surprised nobody wanted to pick up Valkyrie. No, no outside party wanted to pick up Valkyrie. I don't think they were really selling it. I mean, the thing that really throws me about this is like the problem with Dust. Dust is, I think, is in a very different space because Dust, when it was uh, put into maintenance mode, was not done. It was not a good game in the respect that it was that you could come back a year later and play it and be like, yeah, this was good. I agree. Valkyrie is done i can fully understand there's a point when you develop any game and you just say we've patched the problems it's it's done now that's a normal thing and games that have a persistent development for for years and years is really limited to a very niche set of games like mmos in particular Mm. see the most long-term development i i think i would i would i would differ from you a little bit in that I think there is a model of games that are that Valkyrie fell into, not unlike what Wargaming does with World of Tanks. And there's there's quite a few other ones that are. It's I, I think it's a less you know a lesser marquee or plateau of actual development activity, but there's a very healthy you know sort of ongoing live service and updates and know, things like that. I don't know how how I've, how many I've seen that uh, do that for a significant number of years. I still think it's very a uh, very niche process where. You know, you have games like, and like, for instance, like a Call of Duty type franchise does have persistent updates through its lifetime, but that's because they abandon the game and have you go buy the new one every I, year. I would look at most of um, what, what Blizzard puts out. And, mm. and Blizzard is definitely an exception and they've taken their, um, their expertise from, but I mean, that's, that's also a new thing for non World of Warcraft. I mean, they let, no, yeah, yeah, they yeah, let Starcraft sit Jake. out I'm there sorry. for, yeah. they let Starcraft sit out there for a decade and a half yeah, and then they're no, like, I'm, I'm with you. I, I see what you're saying. I was just I was just pointing out that yeah. I think that model is if you look around right now, like not when not when Valkyrie came out a couple of years ago, but right now, that model of a game coming out and then there's a there's a design set of you, you know, like a, a designed lifetime that's associated with it that, that goes on for some time. I think that's much more common now that they that were definitely in terms of what you were saying predominantly those kind of classic hardcore MMOs. And I think that's 
that's kind of transferred a little bit now. Uh, maybe the, maybe microtransactions had something to do with that. But I, anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to derail. No, it's all right. Well, yeah. But we'll see. I mean, it's one of those things like, I, you know, Dust I, I had the much laughed about uh, 10-year plan. I think Destiny pulled that line out too um, at one point. Uh, we have yet to see a 10-year plan. Um, I'm waiting for for a, a, a real ten year plan. It's not reasonable, but <laughs> but uh, you know the thing is though is Valkyrie could stop could have stopped development as it did, and I think continued as a successful game uh, for a number of years. But Valkyrie certainly does not have a community element inside the game, um, and forums are cheap. I don't understand why they shut off the forums so arbitrarily quickly. Um, you know, and I mean, they've got metrics and I'm sure they've looked at some numbers and decided that it's not worth it. Um, but it wasn't even like it was like, a like the dust forums, they kept them basically as long as the code ran. Um, there were some big security vulnerabilities in the, uh, web framework that CCP used for the, uh, Eve forum, the old Eve forums and the dust forums and Evegate. And it was really that that led to killing it off. But this is, uh. The Valkyrie forums run on Discourse. It's like an entirely separate, like, out-of-the-box solution, you know? Yeah, cause I'll, I'll read the, the actual statement here. It says, Greeting Valkyries, as part of our efforts to streamline the web presence and support for our titles, the official eValkyrie forums will be discontinued tomorrow. While these forums will no longer be around, you can still find information on eValkyrie and details on what's going on over our social media channels, the eValkyrie Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to keep an eye on our social media feeds for information on Eve Valkyrie going forward. Do you think that they were tr they're trying to move all active CCP titles to a central form framework and this fell outside of it and it was no longer, it wasn't worth the money to try to convert it over? And so they're just like, we're just going to shut it off and then all of our new games going forward will be part of the new framework or do you think that they just but I, I thought this was the new framework when the valkyrie <laughs> forums came out this was going to be the new way forums were going to be for ccp titles Dude, and they who, were going to start moving everybody to this who, who the hell knows what, what they've changed up through then you know i mean ccp has changed directions in this sort of thing before so maybe yeah i, I don't know i'm just the way they put it they're like yeah this, it seems like it just didn't fit what they were trying to do move forward it's just like we're not going to support the game at all why would we bother supporting the social aspect of it that's just kind of my read on how they are they're looking at it even if i think it probably would have done better if they had actually just kept it going or put at least some effort into converting it over or whatever had to happen but you know the sudden just like like literally discontinued tomorrow no no warning no what whatsoever i mean Shit, I think, and, and you are right, Jay, that the dust form situation was unique, um, and that is not normally what happens. I think CCP Frame was probably largely responsible for making that happen in conjunction with Sony and that sort of thing. But, like, they still, we still got, like, a couple weeks notice, like, hey, we're finally shutting this thing down in a few weeks, you know, it's been fun, you know, make sure you pay attention to Nova moving forward, whatever. This was just, like, yeah, by the way, it's, like, we decided this like five minutes ago and it's happening. It was just very sudden. I think that's probably what caught people off off guard. It's just the very sudden jerk reaction of just, yeah, we're shutting it off. And, you know, there's no time to kind of wind things down like you kind of saw with the dust forums where people knew it was coming. And, you know, I, I, I do feel bad for the players. I think that, you know, games that are heavily built around social constructs, and I don't think Valkyrie was necessarily 
it was probably one of the weaker offerings in terms of, you know, the social interaction, but it's still kind of an expected element of it, given it being part of the kind of the new Eden franchise to kind of have that cut off. So suddenly was, was pretty jarring. So, you know, I feel bad for people out there that were, that were playing. I think it's kind of shitty that it happened like this, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's unfortunate. And hopefully they can find out other avenues to, to talk with, with players and that sort of thing. I mean, I know the dust veteran discord, uh, has gathered a lot of people ever since the forums being shut down um, provided a link redirecting to the Discord. So we've got hundreds and hundreds of people in there, um, which is great. And I hope that the Valkyrie players can find something similar and, and still connect for those who are still playing and enjoying the game. So Valkyrie does have a uh, a Discord chat as well. Okay, I'm um, I'm actually still in that one. Okay, so, yeah. Did they? Did I didn't even look? Did CCP link to that Discord like they did for Dust, or is it just you I got to know that, where it is? That I do not know. Okay. Well, you know, if if people are interested, let us know. We can figure out that information and, and get it to you one way or another. Uh, if you're interested in joining the Valkyrie Discord, I'm sure we can dig up the the link to it and, and maybe put it in the show notes. And if you're if you want to hop on over, because you know. It can suck being left high and dry, and since there's really no good central location for information, um, you know, I'll try to help you guys out. Um, yeah, no, it, it the uh, their forum dead page just links to Facebook and Twitter. Gotcha. So, yeah, the, the dust one surprised me. I I did not expect them to do that, and it was we we saw one of the community directors from CCP kind of pop into the Discord, and he was there for a couple of days, probably kind of scoping the place out to make sure it wasn't like a total shithole, like. It's mostly it a is, shithole, though. but it it's is. not a total shithole, but it's mostly a shithole. But it was it was not too much of a shithole for them to link to the Discord, so that, that did happen, which was surprising. I, I, I was actually very surprised that anyone looking at putting a link on a corporate website would link to a... Uh, uh, a discord channel with a with an nsfw channel yeah well that is what it so is right? that, that was that, that was definitely surprising but um you know i i think there's also probably a difference in that uh the valkyrie brand is probably something uh ccp may revisit and that they still at least i mean they're as they're not shutting the game down they haven't shut the game off right and I, think oh, I, thought, and I thought they were doing that. I thought they were absolutely going to do that. No, it's still going, and I think it's peer-to-peer networking, so there's not even a server element to it. I think. Well, you you have to have like a usually if you have like a peer-to-peer game, like um, so for example, like a Call Call of Duty uses all peer-to-peer, and it has one machine host it, but there's got to be a master server that all the clients check in with that helps figure out who to room together and all that. So there's definitely a server, but if it's uh if it does run off of a host pc being one of the players uh it it significantly reduces the amount of server expense because the actual game doesn't have to run just the matchmaking gotcha so it may be it may be worthwhile for them just to keep that small element running just for public you know for pr purposes just well, it's, it's, it's a still, good working game and they're still selling it i mean well, I, you that, can yeah, still buy true. it if you're still selling um, it you have to support it <laughs> right. networking you have um, to support it but uh and, and so i think if you start seeing it leave the 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 various stores and the various platforms it's on then there would be a point where they'd wind down the servers themselves but as long as they're still selling the game they really have to uh you know keep uh keep the servers up but so between it being a live game a brand that they may want to revisit if they re-enter the 3d the the vr space again as they said they would I think they want to hold on to that brand a bit closer. Um, whereas I think Dust, they've decided 
they're not going to name the new new one Dust Five One Four. I, I would think so. Uh, yeah, they're they're, they're no just way. like this is just here here you guys just have this go away. Um, I, I think I think there's much more of an abandonment of that of that brand than there is necessarily with Valkyrie at this point. But I'm still very surprised they shut the forums. I think it's yeah. I I would guess it probably has something to do with the fact that they axed like the whole community team and literally just don't have anyone to keep it from becoming like a a like cesspool yeah i mean they got rid of everyone because nova specifically was hiring for a community manager but you know nothing like applying for a job that they just got rid of like five minutes ago yeah so you know yeah they're they're obviously shrinking things down and and yeah there's probably there was probably no one to keep an eye on it so you know it sucks you know but yeah we'll we'll see if we can get a link to that discord in the show notes for people if they want to run on over there and, and talk with other players so real quick, uh, so D23 is a Disney expo that happens periodically, and one just happened a few days ago in Japan. They've got their, their D23 expo in Japan, and a new trailer came out for Kingdom Hearts 3. So I'm not going to even remotely try to explain to you what Kingdom Hearts is about, because it would take a couple hours and you'd all think I was crazy. So this is the game where you've got... Square Enix Final Fantasy characters interacting with Disney characters in various Disney worlds, and a lot of weird shit happens. I like the series. It's crazy, and it's really hard to explain because it's, like, spanning over, like, ten different titles. Uh, so I'm not going to get into that. But Kingdom Hearts 3, still being in development. Uh, new trailer, you can get a link to it in the description. It shows off uh, Monster Hunter World is one of the worlds that you go to. So if you're familiar with Monster Hunter, or Monster Hunter Incorporated, sorry, is one of the worlds you go to. So if you're familiar with that Pixar flick, um, you get to go there in Kingdom Hearts 3. And it shows off some story cutscenes that will make a lot more sense if you're familiar with all of the franchise and make zero sense if you're not. But if you are looking forward to Kingdom Hearts 3, this is definitely one worth watching. It has some very interesting story implications. At one point, I was like, what? So, you know, go check it out. And it still claims 2018 release. Um, I think we all kind of roll our eyes and go, yeah, sure. You know, I'll believe it when I've actually got the the copy in my hands. But supposedly we're getting it this year. I'm still not convinced. We'll have to see. I think E3 will probably be the big one in June. I think it's in June this year uh, for a more, like, locked down date. But, uh, you know, they, they're kind of skirting the issue and be like, oh, yeah, it's this year. No worries. Yeah, it's a little delayed like eight times. So, Kingdom Hearts 3, it's probably 2018, we'll see, but there is a new trailer you should check out. All right, Jay, so a few weeks ago, you had mentioned, I think, maybe in the post-show, about wanting to talk about the Overwatch League and kind of the whole esports tournament oh, yes. that they've been setting up. Did you want to touch on that a little bit this week? Uh, we can kind of kick it off a little bit. Um, so, they're taking kind of an interesting take to this. Um, the majority of gaming leagues... Uh, uh, it sort of definitely depends on sort of the sort of the game franchise. What Overwatch is effectively trying to do is, in one big swoop, put a a very uh, a, a very over the top professional league in place. So what they've effectively done is instead of having kind of like private corporate sponsored or you know like you know. Team OG biscuits or whatever you know, you know, random dudes that get together and then scrape together the entry fee or get sponsored for an entry fee by their their local Condom Depot or whatever. This is actually like, um, you know, like 
the Houston Marauders and the, like the New York X. Um, you know, one of the teams is the London Spitfire, which I think just recently won the the first uh, big big event in the uh, in the Overwatch League. So what they're trying to do is put some structure around the concept of le- of you know professional gaming in a way that you probably haven't seen in a lot of other venues. And I think what they're they're trying to do is to see if there's a way that they can take this a little bit more mainstream. And there's probably, it's probably about time that somebody's tried this. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what their plans are, but there's a lot of stuff buzzing around about at least the backend support and the, you know, the, you know, kind of the skeleton they're building around their league system. Uh, And they've done a lot of, a lot of upgrades in the games that will definitely support esports league based, you know, you know, visible play. So, I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of interested to see where this goes. Blizzard, they don't, you know, they don't miss much. You know, they don't strike out a lot on when they try something. So this makes me kind of wonder, you know, how successful they can be. I think if they get this on TV, you know, 30, 40 minutes a week, uh, somewhere like as a as a show, like you know, like on ESPN the Ocho or some shit like that, that would be a big step for them. Uh, if I don't know if that's in their plans or not, but that's that's sort of what's going on right now. Have you guys looked into it at all? I haven't. I don't play Overwatch, so I haven't. But I do kind of try to keep an eye on the esports uh, scene and in the various games that are kind of propping up into prominence. And I have I have noticed that Overwatch is pushing pretty heavily. That they're marketing this a lot uh, to try to make it kind of a, a front runner in all of this. I. Uh... I big, I got the free skin when they launched uh when they wa- launched the Overwatch League stuff basically uh one of the cool things they did was uh every team and, and yep. you yeah. you figure you figure this is where all their their time went in in making skins lately is they made every team a custom set of skins for the entire Overwatch character list so that that was one of the the like signs that you're like oh wow okay they're going all in on this because you know like here's the storm does doesn't you know it's esports bit too and the winning team you know they'll put like the set of skins that that team chose to play as on sale after after the you know oh, the yeah. thing but they're using you know standard stock skins here they have just said you know what if you're this team that this is your team colors you're going to be all your characters regardless of what you pick are going to be skinned in your team's colors. And they look like, they literally look like sports ball, you know, like uniforms. I mean, it like the, the skins are very like, you know, arena league or like, you know, like Nike sponsored, you know, Oregon duck style, like, uh, you know, color. I mean, that's, that's literally what they look like. They look like sports uniforms. Yeah. And uh, they are selling them. So you can, you can, dress up as your favorite team member, you know, team colors, whatever as well. Um, so they are, they're, you know, selling the digital jerseys for the, the pretty much the same price as the regular skins or yeah, what I mean, they would be for, for the record, the, the prize pool for this year, which I think their season caps at the end of July. So like they're, they're kind of in, I guess the playoffs now, um, they use it that like there's a, they do like a series of events that are seated over like the next few months or something like that to get after it. But I, the total prize pool is reportedly around three and a half million dollars, like pretty good, you know, for, for, for some dudes sitting around playing Overwatch. 
Now, I don't, that's not like winner take all, but I think that's their total pool in terms of like, I think that's probably including incentives and things like that. But they've got, I think they've got 12 franchise, like 12 city franchises. Um, and they're, they're located in the city that, that, that bears their name, so to speak. Um, and they are, they are paid professional to like, they literally, they like your, your job is to, is to come here and we move you into, you know, probably like a big brother style house or something like that, I guess, but they pay for room and board and they give them a salary. And you think about how much, like when you have these regionally based teams and you start having to fly people around to play these games, because obviously you can't play a professional tournament across like, you know, two thirds of the distance around the globe for, for your, your ping time. Uh, but uh, yeah, so they're, they're, they're definitely doing this. And I think there was, um, I think there was a big, big shift probably at Blizzard several years ago where they, they really decided that every single thing that they made needed to be esportsable. Um, and, and it kind of culminated up in, in this, which is, uh, yeah, as you said, definitely a big step in terms of trying to make it like a mainstream professional setup. Yeah, and apparently they've. I mean, I'm sitting here like trying to do a little bit more work on this. I I, I knew about, clearly the skins thing that's all over the game, but I, I guess I mean you can like these guys like they come out and they wear like you know j- you know jerseys and stuff like that when they go up to play you know in public and stuff like that. So you and you can buy like the real team apparel. Uh, so they're uh, you know they're definitely going all in on this. And if they, it would not surprise me if they've got some kind of uh, like TV or viewing deal or something for exposure whenever they get down to their championship uh, you know, in July. I I think if anybody's going to make esports like actually crack the the armor and get into kind of mainstream discussion as an activity uh, that you can like watch on TV and you know that kind of shit, this Blizzard might be onto it. Uh, so we'll, you know we'll. We'll have to kind of see how it works. There's apparently the cities that, that got into this, the buy-in to get into the league was reportedly between 15 and $20 million. So like the Houston outlaws, somebody fronted potentially, you know, 15 to 20 million. This is being reported by ESPN too. This is not like, you know, Joe's video game blog. Uh, so there, there's definitely something going on here that's probably worthwhile watching. Yeah, I mean, when you say they're going all in, it it's very much like they're, they're, they've said at Blizzard, if we want this to be like a sporting event, we need to treat it like everyone treats any sporting event. You got to have the apparel, the jerseys, you got to, you know, you've got to make it an icon and have these teams be iconic in how they look, how they play, you know, everything. And they've just said, we're going to go all in and see how it goes, you know, and I, I usually roll my eyes at games that are like, oh, yeah, we're going to have esports, like freaking final fantasy 14's pvp so they want to do esports i'm like you, you gotta be joking like that's ridiculous but i think in this case with how overwatch is and the kind of resources and and track record that blizzard has they could probably pull off something pretty impressive here so to see them go all in really does show they're very dedicated to this idea and chances are it'll probably work pretty well, if not very well. So I, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, but at the very least, I think it will be successful to one extent or another. I mean, I, I will say though, like as someone who's not like who, who doesn't get the, the joy of watching sports ball, I, I, I don't, I don't 
derive any particular joy from watching esports. I don't know why people do, but that's you know whatever. Well, I mean, people will watch just about anything. I would reference you for that, that any number. True. Any number of shows on right now that can occupy your time uh, that I wonder how in the hell that thing got greenlit. That is very true. We talk about it all the time. The also, also YouTube celebrities is really, yeah. Hey, man, I'll, t- I'll tell you right now. I'm going to call this right now. I think you- YouTube is prop YouTube slash Netflix is going to kill you know, any semblance of normal TV. Like the only th- like, like the only thing that will be left is going to be sports news and there will be like an occasional show, but like on-demand content and programming that is uh, more or less outside of a large part of the FCC's ability to to control is is absolutely going to be where the bulk of people's uh, entertainment's coming from. Well, I mean, the internet is under the FCC's control too. It's just yeah, right, not but- not not yeah, managed in the same way. Right. That's what I'm saying. Is like, but in terms of like what you'd see on ABC. You, you get something very different when you're a quote unquote cable channel. Uh, there's no like there's no real content on real TV anymore. I mean, there's very little. You get a few marquee shows here and there, but the vast majority of things. I mean, shit. That's you know, Spike. They they made a living out of that. You know, before they they changed into whatever they are now. I aren't they Breaking re- Bad? You know, I, isn't Spike rebranding as like they Par- are Paramount now? Yeah, something like that. Like Paramount, Paramount Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that's like, this is, weren't they something before that they were, um, before they were spike TV, uh, they were something else. I don't remember what it was. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, but I, I mean, I think the traditional networks will probably move that way anyways. I mean, uh, the aforementioned Star Trek discovery is, uh, probably one of the shows CBS has spent more money on production quality wise. Uh, in, and, uh, you know, it is streaming only. Um, and I, I think you'll see more of that as well. Uh, that, that's fair. I mean, I, I mean, like when you like the aforementioned, you know, altered carbon or any of the Marvel Netflix series, you know, things like the shield, the wire, breaking bad, sons of anarchy. Like you, you don't like that stuff is not on ABC, NBC, you know, CBS, uh, because it can't be, you know, based on the way how the FCC regulates those specific types of types of channels. So I think it, the, the more content becomes higher quality and, and there's going to be outliers. I, I, I've, I've seen very little discovery, but what I have seen, I've been incredibly surprised by how good it has been, to be honest with you. Um, there's, there's going to be a few outliers, but I think the bulk of content is going to be outside that, that domain. And the reality is, Everything is outside that domain. Outside of that's a very, very small circle of a few channels. You know, it is. It is also. I mean, like I enjoy content of of a variety of of you know. But there's, I, I like there. I, you can get to that more. Um, should we say? Can we say more? More adult. Uh, yeah. Sure. Leaned content. That's I right. en- I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. But I think there's a place for both. Uh, and I don't think that place is going to go away. Um, and, and some cable channels do actually self-regulate a lot in that regard. Uh, one of the examples I know just came up is uh, Sci-Fi Channel. Um, mm-hmm. Literally, like, just last, in the last couple of months has said, you know what, we now allow F-bombs on our on our shows. And yep. that was that was a cable channel, which didn't have a restriction saying they couldn't that that just made that change and said you know what this is now okay and uh the magicians 
I think used like 26 in one episode or something oh, like yeah. that just to, oh, yeah. to be like, we can do this now. No, that, and, that, and that's absolutely accurate. I mean, that, that is, and I think that's kind of the thing is the, uh, the option to do the option to, um, you know, broaden their content is out there in ways that, that, you know, kind of some of the traditional media market venues can't, can't really do right now for, for a variety of reasons. And it's not evil. It's just like, like I said, there's, that's a very small circle of a, you know, like a handful and a half of sort of content creators, if you will, like macro content creators. But if you look at like everything else around it, there's a, it's just, yeah, there's a gazillion things that you could watch on YouTube or Netflix that is horrible or not worth your time or you don't understand. But the but with that those kind of numbers, the odds are you're going to find some things like Altered Carbon, Daredevil, you know, so, you know anything coming like Game of Thrones, you know, something like that. I mean, you're 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 picking up a lot uh, when it looks like that. But anyway, back to just real quick back to Overwatch. I just happened to I bounced over to ESPN. Here's an interesting take. ESPN has an esports tab. You know, when you go into the ESPN website, there's kind of a little bar at the top, a little red ESPN and a black bar that lists all the major sports. And I just typed in esports, and there's actually a tab for esports up there. Overwatch has its own tab. Uh, and when ESPN starts tracking you like that, that means they that somebody's definitely paying attention. Um, the minimum salary for a player in with a one-year minimum is fifty thousand dollars. So that that means basically, if you're a rookie and you're playing for one year for an Overwatch team this year, you will get fifty thousand dollars, not counting any winning or bonuses. That is purely like just for playing a video game. The season one champ will take home like the t- the winning team takes home one million dollars. That's 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 an indicator that this is being take, taken quite seriously. <laughs> yeah, that's that's absolutely insane. You know, and I I never you would have asked me five years ago, I would have laughed at you and said they'd never get turned into a sporting event with millions of dollars being thrown around. And so here we are. There, are. there are only four games that ESPN tracks like this: League of Legends, Overwatch, uh, CS:GO, and Dota 2. Yep, that sounds they, about right. They track. Uh, they've got a huge calendar of all kind of different events, uh, you know, tickets to, to venues and shows. They've got like uh, actual video, like 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 dudes sitting in an ESPN set talking about video games. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't know this was a thing. No, it, it's crazy, man. It's it's just gotten it's gotten absolutely insane. You know, I mean, it's I I think it's great. You know, it, it's good to see gaming come video gaming coming back into you know, being cool again, kind of like it was in the eighties. Hey, <laughs> I don't know if you've been keeping up on current events, but like if you've watched the Olympics and seen like curling. Oh yeah. Fuck that. Like I'll watch a dude play overwatch before I'll do that. <laughs> you don't like a bunch of guys with brooms pushing rocks around. Oh, my what? Jesus What's wrong with you? It's the I, most I, Canadian well, sport ever. Maybe. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what it goes. Uh, actually it was invented in Scotland, by the way. Oh, um, okay. The here, let's do this like so maybe for the next show like sometime during the week if everybody like bounces on and like watches maybe a little bit of the like the ESPN or the Overwatch League like their show and see see what you guys think about the presentation maybe we can probably have a, a kind of a discussion on like how uh, you know how well put together it is so far I've I've not seen any of the live stuff or any of the uh, like the the playbacks so I will take a look at it but 
might be kind of fun just at some point this week. You know, like I said, bounce over to ESPN, take a look or something like that, and we'll see what it looks like. Okay. Sounds good. All right. We'll make it happen. This is air. N- no idea. I'm just I'm you'll, literally you'll, on the website. You'll have to look it up. Yeah. No, but we'll, we'll take a look at it. I think it'll be interesting because I, I don't typically watch a ton of sports, and I'll be curious to kind of compare this to, you know, more traditional sports and see if I, I enjoy the I, coverage more. I just want to hear some, like, inane asshole yell boom shakalaka when Winston pounds somebody. <laughs> <laughs> they never shut up. They're always constantly talking. I'm like, just let me watch the damn game. No, it'll, it'll be good. So, yeah, we'll take a look at that, and we'll reconvene next week to kind of give our thoughts on, on how Blizzard and Overwatch have been you know, trying to kind of push the boundaries of being more like an actual sporting event and not just kind of this niche counterculture thing. It, it'll be good to see. So we'll uh, we'll talk about that next week. So I think the last thing we've got for today, Jay, uh, you've been popular with this, this show, Pillars of Eternity. You picked that one up on PS4. Want to give us a brief review on this one? I can, sure. Uh, this would be pretty quick. So uh, Pillars of Eternity is uh, very much an old-school style RPGs, kind of an isometric style, again, very akin to Baldur's Gate, Neverwinter Nights, things like that. And there's a reason uh, it's put out by Obsidian Entertainment, which uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2, uh, the, the Neverwinter series, quite a few, you know, ton of different, ton of different things. They're, they're a, you know, kind of a, a, they kind of fly under the radar a little bit, but they put out relatively high quality stuff mostly RPG story driven, you know, some pretty big name titles over the years. Uh, this was interesting in that they, they started a, they basically kind of took a hybrid funding ap- approach with Kickstarter, very similar to what we've seen, you know, some of our friends out in Seattle doing with Battletech, um, you know, in terms of harebrained schemes, you know, it's, it was a similar model to that. Uh, Pillars of Eternity was one of the highest ranked RPGs on PS4 this year when it, when it, ported over from PC in the summer. Uh, I've just now picked it up. It's been on my backlog for a long time. Uh, it's very accessible. The plays very well, very polished. Uh, if you like, uh, again, those kind of like story driven, like deep world RPGs, like party driven RPGs, there's a lot to it. Uh, this one's got kind of a neat overlay of some more modern activities that are involved. So the development of the party is, is a little bit more robust than you would have in previous, in like, you know, kind of previous types of games where there's clearly there's each guy has a, each guy or gal has a quest line. There's a lot of different, you know, um, options in terms of how you engage them. So there's a lot of dragon age tones into the interactions with your party, which is kind of neat. And again, it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool fantasy. Uh, it's a very Dungeons and Dragons style fantasy world with some, Kind of neat. It's definitely its own thing. It's got some neat kind of twist to it, but um, that's that's pretty solid. The other thing that they kind of take a page from Dragon Age on is it is a real time RPG. So everything runs in real time, but then you could take in combat, you take tactical pauses where you can assign individual attacks or actions or you know things to do uh, to the party, uh, and then you you start time again and like watch these things unfold and how they fight. So you, you can kind of make it go as fast as you want. You can sort of devolve down to, I'm going to play the main character, main story character that I created and like set the AI for everybody else. And then just sort of let the fight happen. And I'll just play my guy. Um, Or you can kind of micromanage and sort of go into a, you know, that dragon age or almost like a, a free play XCOM style. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty solid. Uh, I, so 
fairly well polished, very deep uh, in terms of the story, the lore, and, and like kind of how, how it works out. Looks really good. It, it like visually it looks good i mean it's an isometric game so kind of a, a top down slash over the shoulder view of your party walking around you can kind of zoom in and out on them a little bit so it's not going to be a you know like a, a a visual spectacle that those games generally that's not how they're designed but it, it's really you know a fairly immersive environment does a good job uh it, it again very highly rated by a lot of by a lot of different uh, reviews out there uh if you care to look Personally, I give this one probably around an eight out of ten. Uh, it's really good. There's a few things that are a little that I you know just design choices I didn't like. They're they're relatively minor, but overall, it's pretty solid. Uh, and you know the only thing that lacks is like the villain that you, the villains that you're dealing with are not the greatest in terms of like you know engaging you, but the world engages you quite a bit. So it kind of kind of works out real well. So overall. If you like RPGs, you want a little bit of a time investment or something you can chip away at in between games, other like bigger name games and stuff, Pillars of Eternity, probably a good one. Uh, this one was so successful that they've already, that they dropped a Kickstarter for a Pillar, Pillars of Eternity 2. And that apparently met all of its funding goals in an extremely short order. And they're looking at releasing uh, Pillars of Eternity 2 sometime, sometime this year as well. Uh, so... Again, Obsidian, pretty solid track record as a, as a game developer. They put out a lot of different stuff, and uh, they do these type of games well, and this is a pretty good example of that. Yeah, Obsidian does good work. They also did Fallout New Vegas, which is yep. the best the best Fallout yep. there is. If you, I would it. agree. Yeah, so very solid work. I, I would love to have them get their hands on Fallout again and do something because... Vegas was fantastic, but you know, they, they I, yeah. do really good stuff. Yeah, no, I, and like I said, they, you know, they quietly turn out like, like, I don't, I don't know what their commercial sales look like. I mean, if you look at some of their game titles, you're like, oh, that, that obviously did really well, or that was quote unquote, very popular, or whatever. But they're like, when you kind of go back and look at a lot of their marquee games over the years, their, their reviews, their critic and fan reviews, I like can go to like Metacritic or something like that. Generally really good, like real solid. You know, so they're not like throwing out like, you know, EA or Blizzard name pop on stuff, but the things that they do put out generally are very solid. So with that, interestingly enough, um, there's another game I played like literally just this weekend for about three hours called Armored Warfare, also by Obsidian. And it is, uh, I got it sent to me by a guy I play World of Tanks with. He's like, hey, check this out. So Armored Warfare is literally a very direct competitor to World of Tanks. Uh, like I said, I've played about three hours of it, kind of looked into it. I've got some other guys, guys on my little, you know, uh, World of Tanks clan that are that are kind of starting to look into it kind of seriously. It 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 plays extremely similar, like the architecture of the game, like how the the tanks tier and how you train crews and manage money and stuff like that is um, very, very, very reminiscent of World of Tanks. It's clearly designed to 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 very directly compete with that that into that player base. They do make some neat design choices. Um, they you know they've got some some good ideas, things that some people have been talking about for a while. So basically their lower tier tanks start from a timeline perspective where the upper like the tier 10 maxed out tanks for World of Tanks starts kind of like basically 1950, 1960 era of technology. Um, that's the lowest tier 
so to speak, in uh, armored warfare. And it kind of goes all the way up to current modern military military hardware. And then like their tier 10 is like, you know, kind of what the one step beyond that would be like, you know, hey, this is what, if you look on like, you know, uh, popular mechanics, this is what the next M1 tank would be like kind of thing. It's not, it's, it's no sci-fi at all. It's like literally just like, you know, minor upgraded, like current stuff. It's, it's something you might see five years, three to five years from now. So, that being said, they, they do add a lot of different components to it. You know, there's things like, you know, wire guided missiles, there's UAVs, airstrikes, there, there's a little bit of battle, you know, battlefront slash battlefield uh, type aspects that you put into it from a gaming perspective. Um, novel ideas, they did streamline some things, uh, whereas World of Tanks can be quite, quite deep about how it gets into, into a relatively simple game. They did do some streamlining, which is not bad. But the problem is they're they're really competing against a, a super mature game uh, game model with World of Tanks that is very 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 well saturated into PC, Xbox, and PS4, and has a a pretty hardcore and, and deep uh, fan base. They do bring people in. They do replenish the. They do have a good model to replenish the fan base. you know, on occasion, uh, and. And frankly, their game just looks and plays better than Armored Armored Warfare does. Uh, the idea of what they're doing in terms of like you really just like, hey, well, how do you bring this to like a World of Tanks, but on a more modern stage, is a really really good one. That I think if Wargaming like took this on, if they if they were to have taken this on, and then kind of did it where they you know like, hey, this is a parallel running activity that you can get into. Uh, that works with World of Tanks and kind of brought it under under Wargaming's auspices and sort of like kitted it out like that. This would have been like absolutely gangbusters. It just lacks a little bit of polish, and that kind of minute to minute gameplay is just not quite there. Visually, it doesn't look nearly as good as World of Tanks uh, or as smooth. So, I I like what they're doing. I like the fact that they're taking a big swing at at somebody that nobody else is real. I mean, I guess War Thunder is trying is a little bit in there, but like nobody's really like pushing that part of the game market. So I, I, I give them props for that. If they continue to develop, I mean, this thing's just come out this month. They literally opened up, I think this week. So if they continue to develop it, it, it I'm going to keep in mind, keep my eye on it. So if they put some serious work into it, th- this thing could turn out to be a, you know, kind of a fun game that you could kind of take and build up into. So Obsidian, they're doing great so far. You know, one really good entry and one that I I don't think is quite there yet, but definitely has some potential. All right, sounds good, man. Yeah, it's a lot of good stuff to keep our eyes on, and you'll have to let us know if uh, any of that starts to pan out and look uh, look real interesting. So we'll keep uh, following that, and uh, you know, we'll touch base on it. All right, guys. So I think that's pretty good for the show. Anything else before we wrap this one up with some shoutouts? Oh. All right, I think we're good then. Okay, so this week, my shout-out. Um, so as you've probably been aware, we've been recording a lot of footage from our playthrough of Near Automata uh, as we kind of work our way. It's a lot of content, but we're getting close to the, the final um, fourth, and fifth, fourth and fifth endings of the game. And we took some time to fight uh, one of the super bosses in the game. And so if you aren't familiar with RPGs, 
super bosses are typically optional bosses that are much, much harder than the things you'd actually deal with in the main story. They're meant as kind of a, a stretch goal, something that you grind and level up and get yourself well beyond what you need to for the story to go fight this additional challenge. And the reason I wanted to do this particular fight is because it's more closely related to the events of the previous Nier game. So it's not necessary for the story of understanding the main game of Nier, uh, Automata, but if you want to get that reference to the original game, this was a, a really important one to do. And in order to get this quest to do this fight to unlock, you had to gather up all the weapons in the game and fully upgrade them, which I wanted to begin to describe how long this took to do. It was a, a real pain in the ass and I was kind of getting grumpy about it, but we we did it. And I have to say the fight that was kind of the reward for doing all of this, the fight itself was interesting, but I'm not going to spoil anything, but just the character and the way that that character's story was told and the way it was presented was probably one of the most emotionally driven fights I've had in a game. You know, you usually get this stuff in a cutscene, but having all of this play out in the middle of a fight was it, it honestly left me speechless and how well and how powerful it was. It was just a really good experience. And, you know, all of the pain to get there was worth it for that, you know, five, ten minutes of, of, of combat. So I got to give a shout out to, you know, uh, the team that put that together because it was absolutely fantastic. And with that out of the way, we're going to be kind of moving into the home stretch of finishing the game off. But I was just I was very moved by this particular piece of content far more than I was expecting to be. And it was just it was amazing. So shout out to those guys. All right, Zell, what about you? Shout out to Snow. There's a lot of it. We have a lot of it. That's that's it. Okay. All right, Bate, what about you, man? Uh, shout out to Heat. It was 88 degrees today. Shut up. <laughs> it was awesome. What's your what's your humidity out there right now? Um, right now we're looking at come on. Ninety six percent humidity. God no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take my desert any day. Oh, it's raining though. So oh, okay, well. That's still though you have to deal with the aftermath of that, mm. so I, I don't envy you. All right, Jay, you're up. Okay. Um, I'll give it a shout out to Shadow of Colossus uh, or Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, a game probably a lot of people play. I figure you guys have all played that played that game. It's not normally the kind of game that I I would play, uh, but this thing came and this thing was on like a PS2, right? When it first came out. Yes, it was a PS2 so game. They remastered it and put it out on PS4 here recently, and you know I remember the game, so I took a I took kind of took a flyer on it and. It was um, extremely well well done. Like it's not just it's it's you know sometimes you know, remaster just put some high res images on it and kind of call it good. But uh, it, it kind of brought a lot back to me. It's very 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 crisp, very clear in terms of uh, kind of what's going on around you. And uh, just uh, the one thing I got to say about it, you know the shout out to the game and, and the, the developers. I did not remember how much I didn't like playing the game even though i really enjoyed playing the game because ultimately what you do is you, you go around and you have to you have to go kill all these colossi that are essentially these like like just giant majestic beasts that you have to like climb onto and you find a weak spot and you kind of you sort of brutally kill them but um you you can see them looking at you in the eye and there's like there's like one or two of them like they do a really good job of like articulating fear um but there's 
you understand. I'm, I won't spoil much of it. You kind of understand in the, in the game why you have to do this, but it's it's one of those things where I'm like, I really don't like killing these things off. I really did not enjoy that part of the game, even though all the mechanics are really good. Like the gameplay itself was fun. The game itself was good, but it struck a, I think a very deliberate emotional tone. Uh, and, and I, I, I remember that this week uh, playing shadows of the Colossus. So if you have fond memories of that game, or perhaps you've not played it, I do highly recommend it. It's definitely not a game I would normally play. It's not sort of in my wheelhouse, but um, really good game. Yeah, highly recommended. Yeah, we've actually been looking at doing that one for uh, for Dungeon Crawl as well, just because I, I've never played the original, but I, I've heard fantastic things about it. So the remake was would be a good opportunity to kind of pick that one up and feel horrible about all the things you have to do in that game because it's... I've seen some gameplay from the original, and it's just like, wow, this is... You're not going to be happy at the end of all of this. So it it's the kind of thing that we like to do, and I think it'll be it might be a good addition. So we'll, we'll definitely look into that, and I'm, I'm interested sure. in playing it. All right, guys, I think that's our show for this week. Um, you know, thank you for tuning in. Thanks to the, the host for, for coming in here and, and discussing all this stuff. And, uh, you know, as usual, if you have any topics for the show, if you want to be on the show, just hit us up on all of our contact information, which is on biomass.com or biomass.net, and uh, we'll get you hooked up. But uh, other than that, be safe out there, and we'll see you next week.